Hey guys, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, uh, rate it five stars. This will help me get more awesome guests like this. This was honestly the best interview that I've had. Jack Armstrong is such an amazing, upfront, honest guy. And there's a lot of fun stuff that we talked about in this podcast. So please um, review it and also follow Jack on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, His Instagram is at JackHello with three O's and at HelloJack on Twitter also with three O's. And visit HelloJack.ca for some apparel. I'm definitely, after this conversation, going to buy a Get That Garbage Out of Here t-shirt. So fun. Um, Here's my conversation with Jack Armstrong. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. He's a three-time winner of the Canadian Screen Award for Best Sports Analyst. He coined the phrases, get that garbage out of here, and hello, our very own Toronto sportscaster, Jack Armstrong. Jack, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast today. Anthony, it's my pleasure and honor, and uh, I'm excited to, to chat with you, and uh, I'm excited about basketball coming up here in a few weeks, so uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, anytime, anytime. Before we get into basketball and the NBA bubble, I kind of wanted to know, um, obviously you're a huge sports fan, so what have you been doing during quarantine to stay sane during these times? Well, uh, I've, I've watched a lot of classic games, number one. I'm a, I'm a huge baseball fan, so I've watched a lot of baseball classic games, some, uh, some obviously NBA games, NCAA games, uh, NFL, NHL. So I've watched a lot of classic games, which has brought back some great memories. Um, and then myself personally, I, you know, I like to stay active. So I run every morning. Uh, I've been out, you know, I've been playing tennis probably now that the weather's turned nice, probably playing tennis two or three days a week, uh, getting out golfing a few days a week. So, uh, you know, between running tennis and golf, uh, I feel like I'm pretty active. And um, so now I'm hoping that uh, we get uh, the real deal here where we're actually to see some uh, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, MLS, soccer, the whole bit, uh, you know, and, and fingers crossed it works itself out. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it seems like the Orlando bubble, which the NBA has kind of adopted in in Orlando is um, definitely coming to fruition and teams will play eight regular season games and obviously the traditional format. Um, what was your first reaction about a month ago when you heard about the NBA setting up this bubble? Well, my reaction was that if anyone's going to do it and anyone's going to be thorough, it's Adam Silva's group. I mean, uh, he is an incredibly bright guy. He's very thorough. Uh, the people that work for them are top notch. And if anyone can pull it off, it's them. Uh, so I felt confident that they would put together an incredibly comprehensive plan uh, in partnership with uh, Michelle Roberts and Chris Paul with the Players Association and do their very best to make it happen. Uh, now, I, I will say this, you know, I, I feel confident that we're going to start it. Uh, whether we're going to finish it, uh, it all depends on buy-in, and it also depends on uh, circumstances in a lot of ways that are beyond anyone's control right now. And as we know, the virus is in charge, you know, so you can, yeah, definitely. Do, you can do everything possible 
Uh, but there are a lot of variables in place that, you know, are just beyond your control. But I, I feel confident it's going to dot every I, cross every T, and be super detail-oriented, uh, which I respect. And, you know, the key is going to be the people that are there are going to have to have that same respect and vigilance about uh, being respectful to each other and the process of which they're undertaking and make sure that uh, you do the best you can to, to follow all the protocols. And if you do, will there be issues? Yeah, there's definitely going to be issues. There's no question. There's going to be some people that test positive and uh, it's going to happen. Uh, so let's not overreact to it either. Uh, you know, let's be prepared. Uh, you know, I, I've always been a big believer. I think you plan worst case scenario and then work your way back rather than the other way around that, you know, so I think, I think they have some protocols in place that if, if certain things happen, they're prepared for. And if it gets to a point where it becomes too much of a problem, then they're just going to, uh, you know, they'll, they'll cancel it. So um, I give them credit for trying. Uh, the thing's going to cost, I saw something from Brian Windhorse from ESPN, that's going to cost over $150 million to do this. This is a major undertaking. Yeah, are economics involved with this? Absolutely. There's no question about it. Uh, when you talk about television money and, you know, playing 72 games and the TV contracts and the partnership between particularly, you know, the two networks that have given the league the most money, uh, Turner and, and Disney, you know, nine-year, 24 billion U.S. TV deal. You know, so, yeah, I get that. Uh, and, and, you know, preserving as much of, of the pie uh, for the players and the owners, I get all that. At the same time, we're the first league that shut down. And I think uh, Adam Silver feels that basketball is a big part of, you know, maybe uh, allowing people to have something to look forward to each day during difficult times and to take your minds for a few hours off of the other things. So uh, I give him credit for trying. Uh, again, whether it works or not, I, I sure hope it does. Uh, but there's no, you know, there's, excuse me, there's no foolproof uh method here I, I think you just do the best you can and uh, let's hope it works itself out yeah like you were saying the nba has definitely been really diligent with it like they they released that 100 page document uh where they kind of talked about the things that are required in order to get all these players in the bubble and getting them in safely and then quarantining for a couple weeks uh and like you said it's a huge financial risk for the nba you said it costs 150 million um, that, that could be a huge risk if it were to fail. Um, and I would be worried if I was the NBA, if it were to fail, um, do you think there'd be financial implications on the league if that were to happen? Well, uh, there's, there's financial implications regardless, you know? So, uh, yeah. uh is the league going to go on? No, no way, shape or form. I mean, the league will be fine. Um, you know, there are years in every business, uh, where, you know, you, you have really good years and you have really difficult years. Uh, this has already been a difficult year. Uh, you know, could it be worse? Sure, it could be. Uh, we don't know that. Uh, but I think you, if, you, if, you went, if you went through life worrying about what you could lose, or it's rather worrying about what you could gain, uh, you know, I, I think it, it's you got to go for it. 
And if, if you're organized and you're detailed and your, uh, your, your, your plan is good, then, you know, plan your work and work your plan. And there's risk involved in everything. I mean, you, everyone has to make risk assessments. Every time you put the key in the ignition, when you drive a car, you're making a risk assessment. You know, every time you get on a subway or across a street or whatever the case may be, we all make risk assessments on a daily basis. Um, you know, walking down that dark alley, whatever it may be. So it's the same thing in business. It's the same thing in life. And I think they're making an assessment uh, that they feel uh, the risk, you know, is, is worth the reward. Uh, and we'll see. And if it blows up in their face, so be it. At least they, I think they gave it a shot. Um, but they're not going to be um, taking undue risk and putting people in a, in a very bad position. I, I just don't feel that in any way, shape or form. I feel confident that uh, the league, the Players Association, the owners uh, all together have each other's best interests at, at heart. Yeah, and they and they understand the risk, and they think it's worth the reward. Obviously, the playoffs is a huge uh, amount of money they can make with those TV deals, and I think that having games on during these times would actually have even better ratings than they would usually. Um, but speaking of the bubble, do you think that the, this time off will have an effect on the performance of certain teams? And what I mean by that is, like, do you think that teams with continuity, like the Raptors or even, like, the Denver Nuggets or the Lakers will have – an advantage with all this time off, Anthony. I think I think it's going to be um, a mixed bag, you know, I, I, because it's so hard to predict. Uh, do I think it's it's to the advantage of a team like the Raptors? Uh, I don't think it hurts them at all. I think they got great chemistry, continuity, veteran leadership, outstanding coach, uh, getting everybody healthy. Uh, if the Raptors can stay healthy during this process here coming up, uh, I think they're a contender again, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think they're the type of team based upon their experience in the playoffs a year ago and the playoffs prior to last year that uh, they have a lot of guys that have gotten that, that whole thing under their belt. And even though this is going to be dramatically different than anything they've ever dealt with before, I think they have a mature professional group that'll react to whatever thunderbolts come their way. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the veteran teams like the Raptors, the teams with playoff experience are the ones that aren't going to struggle. They're going to be the teams. And like you said, um, with continuity and also the Raptors did have a lot of injuries this season um, from the likes of like Marcus all, especially to even Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam, all these guys miss games. And I think when you bring that whole team together, uh, I think that they definitely are a contender as well. Um, and it's actually funny because when you dive into this 2020 squad back in 2019, when Kawhi Leonard left the team, I think it's safe to say that the Raptors were counted out as a possible contender for the season by a lot of like the, N the NBA media. Um, and obviously a lot of that's to do with the tenaciousness and the growth of Pascal Siakam as well as like the rising star in Terrence Davis. Um, were you surprised by how good this team actually was this season? No, I thought they would be a. Uh, I thought they I, going into the year. I thought they'd be a top four seed in the East. Uh, you know, I just felt confident, and I said in the beginning of the year that 
the two most important Raptors were Norm Powell and OG Ananobi because Norm was going to be place, replace Danny Green and OG was going to be replacing Kawhi Leonard. Now, uh, I look right now at the defense OG Ananobi's playing. He's playing at that at the level of a Kawhi Leonard defensively, and his offense is – I really liked some of the glimpses I saw from him uh, right after the All-Star break. And then Norm Powell, uh, I think, has been an upgrade on Danny Green with all due respect when he's been healthy. So uh, you put that together, uh, are they, you know, obviously do you miss Kawhi Leonard? Of course you miss Kawhi Leonard. Would you rather have Danny Green or not Danny Green? I'd rather have him, but nonetheless, they're not here. But this is still a really good team. And, and as you mentioned, the, you know, improvement of a, a Siakam and uh, a Terrence Davis was a nice, uh, uh, you know, a really, you know, solid pickup for them. And so there's a lot of good pieces in place. And there's that red, residue of winning. And you have guys that know how to get it done. Uh, they defend really well. They're a terrific running team. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I still, you know, feel like they got to get better in terms of the half court execution, late shot clock stuff. You're going to miss Kawhi in that regard. On the other hand, though, there were guys so in and out of the lineup. Uh, it's really hard to tell, you know, how that whole thing can gel and, and truly what the chemistry and the potential is in a half-court offensive game until you get everybody healthy playing together. But I think having a healthy Marcus Soul, who was out of the lineup quite a bit, uh, I think changes how the flow of your offense goes. He's a great screener. He's a great passer. He stretches the defense out with his three-point shooting. Um, I think the function functionality of your offense improves with a guy like that on the floor. Yeah, absolutely. I I actually think as well, um, to sort of reiterate that this team, they were um, obviously had a great year and they definitely played better than I think I even expected. Like being the second seed um, was definitely a surprise for me. And I think that the big question with this team um, going into the playoffs for me is like you're saying in that half court offense, when the game gets tight and you need a bucket, who's the guy taking the last shot? Will it be Kyle Lowry? Will it be Siak? And will it be Fred Van Vliet? Most of the time it felt like the ball was in Kawhi's hands and Kawhi made the decisions. Now I think the big question for me is who's the guy making that next decision? Yeah. But if you look at game six last year against Golden State, Fred Van Vliet made the big shots. You know, yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, and Kyle Kyle Lowry made the big plays early in that game. You know, so uh, Kawhi Leonard was a great player for them, and obviously made killer plays. Uh, you know, in so many different games for the Raptors, and you miss them. There's no question. Um, and and I, I think uh, you know the whole uh, experience coming up here. Those eight games, the Raptors have the toughest schedule. But I also think that allows them to really get prepared for the rigors of the playoffs. I think when you play really good competition, you get exposed. You got to really fine tune things. And I think that's going to allow yeah. Nick Nurse and his staff to get a good perspective on kind of where their team's at. And I'm a huge believer. I've lived through two lockouts, 98-99, uh, 50-game season. I think it was 2011-12. We played 66 games. I think if you look at the offensive numbers in those two years, um, I think, uh, to me, uh, offense struggles. So I look, yeah. I look at the Raptors. Uh, they're a very good defense. 
Can they get some offense off their defense in terms of running game? And secondly, can they get can their uh, uh, role definition, experience, togetherness, chemistry, and can they really get a good do a good job in terms of establishing flow and execution? I think the better offensive teams uh, that also have a good defense. I mean, it's probably a pretty common sense thing, but I really believe that. Uh, you're not going to be able to hang your hat uh, totally on your offense or totally on your defense in this thing. Uh, I think the teams that have good balance, and I think the Raptors potentially have good balance uh, in the playoffs here, is going to really matter. And I think uh, I feel confident in the base coverage and the, and the solid, the solid play of their D, and if their offense can be really, really good. Um, I think that's going to be the key thing because I think a lot of teams are going to shoot themselves in the foot during this because of um, conditioning and fitness. Uh, and I'm a big believer in offensive fitness, meaning that when you have a big shot to take late in the shot clock, do you have your legs to make the shot? Do you have the, you know, the bounce in your step? Can you cut hard? Can you, because a lot of times, when you're not in great shape, the games uh, are going to be sloppy and mistake-filled. And to me, I think the first eight games, the regular season games, uh, I would expect are not going to be uh, beautifully played. Uh, I think there'll be some teams that really struggle. And the teams that win them will be the ones that are tr- are really, really good on the offensive end. Yeah. I think the, the Raptors um... – when it, when it comes to playoff time, I think they're going to have that continuity that's going to put them ahead up on those teams, and I think they will have a good regular season. Uh, is there a lot of value, you think, in holding that two seed, given that I think the Celtics have one of the easier records over this eight-game stretch, and the Raptors actually match up with them? Do you think that holding that, um, that two seed could be pivotal to avoid a first-round matchup against either the Indiana Pacers or the 76ers? Well... I think with Victor Oladipo out of the lineup, um, it'll get a, it gets a little harder now for the Pacers to to get that fifth seed, uh, fourth seed, whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, and I think for the Raptors, I think it's going to be really hard now. Bradley Beal not going to play along with Beatrice for Washington, and then the you know just the amount of losses that the Brooklyn Nets have had personnel wise. Uh, I think you're talking about. The Nets being eight, I think the Magic, if they just show up and win a few games, they're going to be the seventh seed. So mm-hmm. if you're the Raptors, you're probably looking at playing in the first round, either the Magic or, uh, you know, the Pacers. Uh, you know, and then kind of where does that lead to, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I You know, home court, uh, obviously, in my opinion, I've been saying this a lot, but it's kind of fallen on deaf ears. You know, what are we doing for our teams? You know, in the in the fifty game season I experienced, and the sixty six game season I experienced, and the two lockouts, uh, you know, the team still had played you know the traditional one eight two seven three six four five format, and you had home court, and that really made a difference. Now I understand that we're all in a bubble, but what are we doing for our better teams after seventy two games? You know, how are we rewarding the Bucks, the Raptors, the Lakers, the Clippers, those four in particular, and then move down to the next line or the next four teams? 
what are we doing to uh, reward those teams for a great regular season? Because they've played 72 of the 81, 82 games. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good accomplishment. Uh, that's, you know, that's a pretty good body of work. Uh, and, and, you know, that's a marathon, you know, uh, to me, if we're charging full price and we're promoting these regular season games, like they're a big deal and they matter, well, they do matter. Uh, well, if they do matter, yeah. what, what, what reward are we giving the teams that fought and grinded every night and played back to backs and had fatigue and sickness and injury and all the other things to fight through? and found a way to be a one seed or a two seed or a three or four, whatever. What are we doing for these teams? So to me, uh, element of it that I'm kind of disappointed that, uh, you know, I mean, I know there's been a few discussion points about it. And even after the first round, are we going traditional bracket or are we reseeding? Are we going to reward our better seeds with the weakest opponent? I don't know. I I, 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 I gather it's just going to be your basic, uh, you know, bracket, which is fine, I guess. But, uh, you know, to me, I think uh, doing more for the better teams, uh, because I think we're going to have an up. The fact that you don't have home court and you've earned it now, an advantage swings back. Uh, so let's say you're a two seed and you're playing a seven or whatever, a three and a six. Suddenly, that six seed, that seven seed, doesn't have to deal with the intensity of a of a of a uh, you know road playoff game in games one and two. You know, on the other hand, you know you, you have the, the the tipping point games that you have to win in game five and seven. Um, I think home court in those situations really is dramatic and significant. What if the Raptors had to play game seven last year against Philadelphia and Philly, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. You know, on, the other, on the other hand, the Raptors won three games uh, in Oakland during the finals, which was amazing, which was great. So uh, my point is I just think that uh, it, it's – the it, I don't want to hear about this asterisk stuff. Uh, teams will have played 72 of 82 games. That's more than the other two lockout seasons I've experienced. Yeah, we're going to have playoffs. We're not going to have home court. It's going to be in a bubble. And to me, I think uh, it's going to be even harder to win a title than it ever was. So uh, just like the teams, I think it was San Antonio that won in 99. I think it might have been the Heat that won in 12. So I'm just talking off the top of my head here in those lockout seasons. Nobody remembers those were lockout seasons. You just have a banner up and everyone knows they were champs. And I think the champ this year is going to be a deserving champ. Yeah, it doesn't really matter who, who wins necessarily. I think whoever wins is going to have to still go through the gauntlet of playing those four rounds and beating the best of the best. Um, and, and like you were saying, I think the way that the NBA is structured, it, it seems like they are, they are just doing East-West and they are doing 1 through 16, which – was a potential um, innovation they were going to do, considering that all these teams were in the bubble. Which I don't, which I don't like. Uh, I don't like the the uh, you know, unless you're going to have a balanced schedule, you can't do it. I, I'm 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 totally against uh, you know crossing over and you know the uh, number two seed in the uh, East plays the number seven in the West or whatever the case may be. 
you know, or we reseed, but you know, I'm not a fan of that at all, unless we have a balanced schedule. Uh, yeah. If we want to adjust the schedule and have uh, every team play each other three times, if I'm not mistaken, I think you could probably pull it off, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, add a few games to the regular season, whatever, and, and have more of a balanced schedule, then you can do away with conferences and just, you know, whoever the best teams in the league are, that's fine. But if we're not going to do that, if we're going to have divisions and if we're going to have conferences, uh, then I think you can't you can't do it that way. Uh, In my opinion, Uh, you know, a lot of people disagree, but uh, there were there were years that the East was much more powerful than the West. There have been years in the West has been much more powerful than the East. That goes in trends. Um, So the West people right now complain about all that. But years ago, when you looked at the Celtics, the Sixers, the Bulls, the Pistons, the Knicks, the Pacers, the East was just absolutely dominant uh, during the era of a Michael Jordan and Ewing and guys like, um, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it, it's skewed and it, it happens. It's trends based upon where the talent is at a particular time in history. But, uh, you know, I like the format we have, the, the challenges again, um, uh, it, it'll be I'm fascinated by how it's all going to play out with teams not having the home court um, and, and what what it does to that. I mean, look at a team like Philadelphia. This it's, it's incredible. Um, yeah, I was actually looking at that and it was actually crazy. I think they're like 29 and two at home and then away. They were like they had like a terrible record, like a, a yeah. really low under 500. So, so now you say, now you say to yourself, that's a team that's young that has, you know, in my opinion, I'm not knocking them. It's they're young. They react to the crowd. They're, they're front runners. I think Embiid and Simmons are great, great players. And I think they get amped up and juiced up when they play at home. And that's great. Uh, I think on the road, you know, maybe uh, they, they, you know, they, they still haven't crossed that line yet as young players that learn to win on the road. Uh, now, on the other hand, does that help them or hurt them? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what they are about. My my big belief, I always say this, particularly when you get past the all-star break, I look at teams' road record. And if you look at the Raptors, uh, their road record was outstanding. They had, the, you know, they obviously had the second-best record in the East and the third-best record overall uh, in, in the league. But if you look at their road numbers, their road numbers are excellent. Uh, so to me, I think the contending teams here uh, in this uh, tournament, uh, I think you got to look at because, you know, you're not really playing anywhere. You're playing on a neutral court every night. So so let's look at what a team was at home. Let's look at it, what a team was on the road. And I think if the numbers are relatively good at a high level, then you say to yourself, this team's good wherever they play. You can put them on Mars and they'd be good, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, so, so to me, I think that um, – but I'll say this, without that home court and without that crowd helping you in a tipping point game, and now it kind of – it changes things a little bit. It bring it makes things a little bit more even, Stephen. So what are you? What are you? What's the old line? Excellence is a habit, not an act. What are your habits? How how good are you? How consistent are you? And to me, I think that's a big part of it. And which teams are just the most steady, consistent 
uh, because you're not going to have the benefit of the stimulus of a home court. Uh, You know, I think that'll determine a lot of things. Absolutely. I I actually pulled up the the record and the Raptors have a 23 and nine record at home and away. So it's safe to say they're good in both places. Whereas 76ers are 29 and two at home and 10 and 24 on the road, which um, is actually astonishing that the record is that different in both places. No, remarkable. But, you know, nonetheless, I, I, that, that goes to my point about just being sound and solid uh, because mm-hmm. this is going to be more about basketball and less about all the glitz and glitter and the noise and the crowds and people going bonkers at games and home court and all that. It's going to be you coming to the game ready to hoop. You know, it's going to be almost like how these guys grew up, uh, you know, playing, uh, you know, the players that grew up in North America playing summer basketball, AAU, and you're playing in all different tournaments all over the place. And, uh, you know, it just, it's about, you know, there's really no home court advantage when you play that. It's just, you you know, you your team against the other team and let's, let's bring it on. So uh, I think it'll be more pure basketball. To me, again, I, what I was saying, I, I, I think your point is, is well, you know, well right on the n- numbers, uh, is the fact that if you're good, you're good. Your habits are going to stand up uh, through thick and thin, no matter where you play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before you go here, I know you're a busy guy. I know you got a, a five-month-old pup to, to oh, tend yeah, to. Busy, but busy. <laughs> but I just wanted to – I have a couple of mailbag questions from sure, some fans. No um so one, one thing people want to know is how did you get to become a commentator for the Toronto Raptors, um, considering that you were born and raised in Brooklyn? Am I correct to say that? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, to me, it, it's uh, uh, I was a college basketball coach, a head coach at Niagara. I was a Division One coach for 14 years. And um, how do I become a, an analyst, a TV radio analyst for the Raptors? I got fired. <laughs> you know, I was a basketball <laughs> coach and – that's what happens to us. So, uh, you know, basically, uh, when I left coaching, uh, I had a year left of my contract. I said, you know, I'm going to take a year off. I'm kind of burnt out. And uh, so the Raptors had a radio analyst job at the time. This was 1998. And they hired Chuck Swirsky and I as the radio broadcast team. So this would have been year four of the Raptor organization. So it was an amazing mm-hmm. opportunity. It was like working for a startup company. Uh, yeah. You know, when you're young and, you know, I mean, I was a college guy. I had no MBA background, but I was working for a startup company. Now, you, if I get if I get fired at Niagara, am I getting a Celtic job or the Laker job? Probably not. You know, I mean, that's going to some big name, whatever. Um, so I was able to kind of create uh, my own shtick. You know, and, and, and Chuck did too. That was his first time in the NBA. And yeah, little by little, it kind of just, uh, it evolved and grew. And, you know, I, I transitioned into TV. I, and I still do TV and radio, and it's a lot of fun. I love what I do. And um, so, you know, I guess uh, sometimes, uh, you know, one door closes and another one opens. And uh, sometimes life takes a wrong turn in the right direction. And for me, it took a wrong turn, but it got me going in the right direction. And I had opportunities after that to to go back into coaching and 
Uh, I'm so glad I didn't. And I, here, here I am 22 years later in my 22nd season with the Raptors. And, um, and excited to be calling some games coming up here in the weeks ahead. But, uh, yeah, no, it's been a great run. Yeah, so it's almost like getting fired as a head coach was one of the best things that ever actually happened to you, huh? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, you know, there you don't know it at the time, um, but you know, you're banging your head against the wall and you're giving it your best shot and you're you're trying yeah. your best and you just uh, you're always pushing that rock up the mountain and the rock keeps rolling back on you. So uh, uh, you know, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing, but nonetheless, it was a great. It's been a great opportunity, and, I, and I'm really fortunate to have had the chance to, uh, you know, to spend the last 22 years working in Toronto. So uh, uh, it's, been a, it's been a tremendous uh, situation and wonderful people, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. And, uh, you know, the last seven years have been amazing, you know, seven years in a row with the playoffs and, you know, winning the title last year. And, um, and you know, again, fingers crossed, knock wood, mm-hmm. uh, this bubble thing, For this bubble thing works out, and, and the team can contend uh, and go a long way, and maybe play for it again. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, and obviously seeing what you've seen over all these years as a, <clears throat> a Raptors uh, fan and commentator, um, what was it like seeing the Raptors actually win the championship after all those years? Obviously, the struggling years through the early two thousands, and then all the playoff woes um, in the last few years. Well, that night it was hard to really enjoy it because you're so busy on the air. You know, I think we were on the air for another hour and a half or so after the game ended. So you're working. Um, so you can't get giddy and all excited because your job's to uh, paint the pictures. You know, the pictures are on the screen, but you still have to, uh, you know, kind of be around it and describe it and, and analyze it and, and give, give the, give the whys and the hows and, uh, and do your job. So it didn't really sink in until, you know, you kind of get off the air finally and you say, you know, that, and then, you know, then we ended up going to the party in San Francisco and that was great. And, um, you know, and then probably a few days later I was running in Toronto and I saw a guy I, when I was out running along the lakefront, a guy was wearing a t-shirt that said Toronto Raptors NBA champion. I'm like, Oh my God, did that, did that really happen? Let me, let me pinch myself here. So I, I guess my point is, I think when you're in the midst of it, you're so busy uh, and you're, you're being pulled in 85 different directions and, and, you know, you're being asked all the time to describe, you know, the whys and the hows and how did that happen? And, why did it happen and why you know that you kind of you're so immersed in your work that you don't have a time to go wow that really happened you know so uh the longer you get away from it uh that's when it all now you can reflect on it and you know what do they say the joy is in the journey right and uh you know so when you reflect on the journey uh you go wow what a great time that was uh, but you know it take you know it, it's a it's a tough time when you're in it because you're grinding through that journey. Uh, you know you got a job to do, and I, I feel the same thing for the players. Uh, you know I, I think for them, you know they they celebrate it and all that, but it really doesn't kick in probably till a few days later when you have the parade and you got millions of people there. Now you go, 
oh my God, this is amazing. We actually did it, you know? So to me, it, it, it comes in gradual, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to have the trophy at my house for a party and I have, uh, we had a lot of people at my house for this party, probably 300 people coming in and out all night, taking pictures with the trophy. And, you know, that's, that's a night where you celebrate and you go, wow, you know, these are my friends and family and, you know, there's just joy. And, uh, that's when it really sinks in. So, uh, no, it was an amazing, uh, journey. It was amazing. I'm so happy for, uh, the fans and folks all across Canada, the loyal, loyal fans and just the joy that, that, you know, you see, uh, was just the, to me, it was a really cool thing. Yeah. I remember watching the game and seeing them win. I was in Waterloo and when I, when I left and walked onto the streets, there was just a bunch of people on the streets running around cheering cars honking. And, and it even did feel surreal to me too, for a bit there. And I was, and I was like, I just didn't feel like they actually won. It just kind of didn't feel real after all those years. And so, uh, yeah, I think it was the same thing where it was that surreal feeling. Um, and a few days later, you kind of realized, hey, they actually did win the championship. And that's actually crazy. Uh, last question here before you go. Uh, the people want to know, where did Get That Garbage Out of Here originate from? Is there an origination story uh, to one of your classic phrases? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I, there was a game that I can't remember I can't remember what game it was, but there was a game that uh, wrapped a player, uh, blocked a shot, had a pretty emphatic block. And I was just about to say on live television, because you grow up on the streets of Brooklyn in the schoolyard, <laughs> you know, when a guy blocks a shot, a guy say, get that blanking blank. And you can kind of <laughs> figure out what those two magic words are. They start with F and S. Uh, yeah. And, Needless to say, I was about to say that because it was such a great block. And I caught myself and I just said, garbage. I don't know why I said garbage, <laughs> but I said garbage. And it kind of just, and then our, uh, I think it was our director at the time uh, in the TV truck, Troy Clara, said to me, I like that. Use that. Uh, he goes, that's pure gold because that's his line. He goes, pure gold. When something's magical, he, he says, ah, that was pure gold. <laughs> well, occasionally, I'll steal that from him. And Troy now is, a, is the TV director for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, he said, oh, that's, that's classic. He goes, that's pure gold. Use that. And uh, so anytime there was a block shot, I'd go, get that garbage out of here. <laughs> so uh, it worked, you know, and geez, we've had the city of Toronto do uh, recycling campaigns and they've used my voice for it and all that and the commercials and all that. So it's been fun. Um, so it just kind of came from playing ball in the schoolyards and, and what people used to say when they block shots. But uh, that's kind of how it originated. And thank goodness I didn't use the two magical words on TV and I used garbage instead. <laughs> Jack, thanks so much uh, for being on the podcast. You've been uh, an outstanding guest. Is there anywhere that the people can reach you in terms of like following you on social media? I'm not really on that. I mean, you know, like uh, I, I guess I'm sure you can look at uh, hellojack.ca. I mean, they got the T-shirts and the hats and uh, all the swag, the good folks at Entropy, and they have a, a Twitter and a, a Instagram account there for me. Um, 
so I guess that would be the thing, but I don't really get into all that. I'm not that tech savvy yet. You know, for me to operate the phone and be on with you right now is a pretty big accomplishment. I've, <laughs> I've learned how to use Zoom and all these different devices uh, during the pandemic here uh, to figure out how to sometimes when you have to do the video conference calls or I've been doing a lot of speaking for companies and uh, different, you know, Raptor sponsors and all that with uh you know with with the zoom and all that so um so it's fun uh, but if you want to check out hellojack.ca i think you'll catch uh, you can get a hello shirt or a get that garbage out of here uh, hat or whatever the case may be those are a lot of fun and uh uh but i, I really appreciate you anthony having me on today and um i look forward to meeting you in person sometime down the road when when things settle down and uh we get back to some degree of normalcy whatever that normalcy is going to be i don't know what i have no idea what it's going to look like nor do you but uh, i hope at some point uh, you know the folks the medical folks are able to come up with a, a really successful treatment option and then obviously uh you know a, a, a vaccine and and if those things get into place then uh, things start get moving in a different direction a very positive direction yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think after our conversation, maybe you should on the Hello Jack website get a shirt that says "Get that effing s out of here." <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I think some people would uh, like it, and then you know you'd have some other people that would say that's a little bit, uh, you know, risque or, or or pushing the envelope a little bit. So <laughs> I'll keep garbage. It's a little, it's a little safer. That's for sure. I'll I'll buy either one. Uh, <laughs> th- thanks again, Jack. I really appreciate your time. You got it, Anthony. Have a great day, buddy. You too.